Greg for uh, reading God's Word. I, I trust you'll keep your Bibles open to John 8. Let's say that you and I are talking after church, and uh, we just congregate back there. We're talking about the weather, talking about sports, talking about the Barons losing, talking about family, or whatever. And uh, I'm, I'm talking, and you hear me refer in the middle of the conversation to someone being the spawn of Satan, and then I just keep on going on and in, with the conversation. What, what would go through your mind at that moment, hearing me refer to someone as the spawn of Satan? Probably not something that's in conversation often. You always thought I was odd, but that would take it to another level, wouldn't it? Um, most of my preaching is going to be verse by verse, through books of the Bible. That allows God's Word to determine my sermons, not my pet topics. Um, what if I got to, in my preaching, some very difficult verses in a stretch of the Scriptures, and I skipped right over it and kept on going? Wouldn't you be like, no, no what's up with that? He jumped right over that. You'd be asking some questions, right? He's copping out. See, one of the dangers of topical preaching, which many churches engage in, is that you can skip over passages like today and just choose the ones that aren't so offensive and make everyone feel good, but that doesn't honor Jesus. You probably don't have the latter part of John 8 counted, cross-stitched, and framed on your wall. It's probably not on your morning coffee mug. You probably have never read the latter parts of John 8 on a greeting card with flowers on the front. It's a, an offensive passage. The words of Jesus are severe. They're unsettling. And yet they are so good for us to hear. We have to hear this. Let's start by understanding that there are two fathers and two families, and everybody belongs to one. Two fathers, two families, everybody belongs to one. Everyone is either a child of God or a child of Satan. A child of God or a child of Satan. Whoa! You hear something like that, it kind of stops you in your track. Hello, religious fanatic, right? Is that too extreme? Well, Jesus taught it. Two fathers, two families, everyone belongs to one. Now, Christians try to soften this. Instead of using terms like sinner or unbeliever or lost, some Christians use vague, less offensive terms like the unchurched or pre-believers, or pre-Christians, none of which is what God calls unrepentant sinners. In a bunch of ways, Christians try to lessen the blow of Jesus to sound more appealing and likable to non-Christians, when the gospel itself is scandalous and offensive to sinners. If you pay attention when you read your Bible, I mean, really pay attention. It's very clear. Jesus often offended people because he told the truth. Here's the term that Jesus used to describe unrepentant sinners. Children of the devil. That was his term. That was his term. 
That's what he labeled the most pious, religious, and devout theists of the first century. I don't think Jesus would have had his own show on the Oprah Winfrey Network. It wouldn't work. I don't think he would make guest appearances on, on uh, The View or have some show, maybe even on CBN. Probably not. I think if Jesus was still around, he would largely be considered an aggressive, intolerant, insensitive, bigoted, chauvinistic, and impertinent religious extremist. His dogmatic style would not be well-received in relativistic and politically correct America. That's why, in America, hostility for Christianity and all things pertaining to it is growing. What would our unbelieving friends say or think if they knew we thought they were the spawn of Satan? What would they think if they knew Jesus considered them to be the spawn of Satan? Very few evangelistic programs are built on John 8. It's, uh, it's popular to believe that God is everyone's father and that everyone is a brother or sister. Well, everyone was certainly designed by God, created by God in the image of of God with worth and value. Everyone exists because God in one sense is their father, but Jesus never taught, the Bible never teaches that everyone is God's child. All throughout the Old Testament, Israel is God's son, separate and holy for God's own possession. There's chapter and verse for it. God said things like, I am a father to Israel. Or, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The concept of two fathers and two families is throughout the New Testament as well. It's very clear. The New Testament says things like, All who did receive Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Or, for in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. The New Testament talks about adoption and being born of God. It emphasizes that those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God and contrasts children of the flesh or a crooked and twisted generation with children of God. In some places, the two fathers and the two families are just blatant. They're in your face. Take 1 John 3.10, for example, which says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. There it is, plain as day. Two fathers, two families. On one occasion... Jesus told a parable about farming, as he often did, which is really awesome, especially since we live in Lancaster County. And he explained the parable to his disciples, and this was his explanation. The field is the world, he said, and the good seed is the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. Not only did Jesus compare unrepentant sinners to weeds that would be burned in a pile... Matthew 13, verse 40, but he called them sons of the evil one or devil. 
Jesus even told scribes and Pharisees, who were the religious highbrows, that they were children of hell along with everyone who follows them. Tough language, tough truth. But this reveals that for Jesus, there were two fathers and two families. Before we move on, let me say this. No one is a child of God because they deserve to be. No one. Paul explained to Christians, Christians in Ephesus, that they were at one time dead in sin following the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, and that they were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We boast in Christ Not in ourselves, because at one time we were all, by nature, children of divine wrath, following our father Satan, and God rescued us and made us his own. There are eight points this morning. Eight points. And though they're tough points, woven throughout is the grace of Christ. Number one, some children of the devil profess to be children of God. Some children of the devil profess to be children of God. Now, I left you hanging last week. Jesus said that they had a father that was other than God. Uh, They disagreed. They thought God was their father. Look at verse 39. This is how they answer him. Abraham is our father. That was another way to say God is our father. Then in verse 41, they said, we have one father, even God. These Jews professed to be children of God. Sometimes children of the devil profess to be children of God, but they're self-deceived. They have no love for God, no real commitment to Christ, but they still somehow identify themselves with God and with Christ. You may want to write this down. So get out your pencil. You may want to write this down. Our thoughts, beliefs, choices, and behaviors proceed from our true identity. Our thoughts, beliefs, choices, and behaviors proceed from our true identity. Saying you're a child of God and being a child of God are very different. See, behavior must follow profession or profession is simply behavior. If we are children of God, then we will live like children of God, or else our profession is vain. Complete vanity. Our thoughts, beliefs, choices, and behaviors proceed from our true identity. Number two, children of the devil don't trust and obey God. They don't trust and obey God. You need to understand in our context why Abraham was so important. What did Abraham do that these Jews were not doing? He trusted and obeyed God. He trusted and obeyed God. In Abraham's old age, God promised him the impossible. He and Sarah would have a son and God would make his descendants like the stars. They're looking at the stars. Did Abraham trust God? Genesis 15, 6 says, And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham trusted God. God counted Abraham his righteous son because Abraham trusted his promise. 
Abraham believed God would raise up a son from his bloodline that would eventually save him. Abraham believed in Christ. He believed the gospel. Christ was Abraham's righteousness by faith. Galatians 3, 7 through 9 affirms this. It is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Paul, very interestingly, said that the gospel was preached to Abraham. And he believed that gospel. Abraham was a son because of his faith in that gospel. Now, how did Abraham obey God? In Genesis 22, God asked Abraham, this is wild, ask Abraham to kill Isaac, the son of promise. I'm going to build your descendants through this son. And oh, by the way, I want you to kill him. What do you even make of that as Abraham? Well, he trusted and obeyed God. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19 explains, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Do you understand what was going on there? He believed that there would be a great resurrection of the son of promise. Prophecy. Give up his son of promise. That was huge faith. That was magnificent faith. Abraham believed and obeyed God. Incredible. James 2 explains that Abraham's obedience confirmed Abraham's faith in God. What if Abraham would have looked at God and said, I believe you, God. I, I, I really do. But I'm not giving up Isaac. I can't give up Isaac. You made me a promise. I will not give you my son of promise. That wouldn't have been faith, right? Can we all agree that wouldn't have been faith? doesn't matter what Abraham said. It mattered what Abraham did, which validated what he said. What we do follows what we believe. The Jews of John 8 claimed to be sons of Abraham, sons of God, but there was a problem. They didn't believe and obey God, nor his son. In verse 39, Jesus implied very strongly that they were not Abraham's children. And we're not doing what Abraham did, which was to trust and obey God. Very simple. Instead of faith and obedience, Jesus said, verse 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. I love that line. Isn't that an awesome line? This is not what Abraham did. He's not their their father. God's not their father. Sometimes standing for the truth has grave consequences. Sons that respect and reveal their fa- revere their fathers do what their fathers ask and believe that what their father's father asks is the best for them. That's what sons do. Why would children of the devil obey God? He's not their father. They neither respect nor revere him. They only trust and obey their father. Number three, children of the devil emulate their father. They emulate their father. Jesus gave it to them straight. I love that about Jesus. Verse 41, you are doing the works your father did. That's right. They were. See, sons try to make their fathers proud. 
They, they didn't like being told that Abraham was not their father, so they sharply struck back. We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Folks, if you're not sensing it in the passage, this is a tense moment. Very tense. Emotions are running high. Now, why would they mention sexual immorality? Why bring that up? Probably to insult Jesus because none of them knew who Jesus' real father was. Mary's pregnancy out of wedlock was scandalous. Scandalous. And scandalous news travels fast. They were calling Jesus a bastard to his face. So Jesus said, verse 44, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. The Greek word for devil means slanderer or accuser. They were children of the devil, so they wanted to slander and accuse just like their father did. So they did, oddly enough, under the guise of service to God. They called this service to God, religion. Jesus continued, He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is the father of lies. There is no truth in him. He's not in the business of telling you what you need to know and what will help you. He's in the business of destroying your life by feeding you lies. That's what he does. Can you see how these Jews were emulating their father? They lied. They wanted to murder just like their dad. How is Satan a liar and a murderer? God said to Adam and Eve, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Satan followed right in to say to them, you will not surely die. Now my question is, on your experience alone, who told the truth? God did. Death ensued. The deception of Satan led to the death of Adam and Eve in humanity. The the sweet lies of Satan of his mouth, are always laced with the poison of death and destruction. Behavior proceeds from identity, and Satan's identity is deception. The Jews plotted the murder of Jesus, failed to abide in his truth, lied and accused him falsely, and spoke from their evil nature. Behavior proceeds from identity. Now, I I think it would be accurate to say few people are walking around saying, I really want to be like the devil. I, I don't hear many. But many people live like they do. The evil of the devil doesn't always look like Hitler's. Hitler, my friends. It can also look like a halo. Listen to 2 Corinthians 11, 14, and 15. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That looks good. Looks like a halo to me. So it is no surprise if his servants, or you could insert children, also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Like father, like son. Those who serve the devil do not look like little demons running around with claws and weird things protruding from them. They can sound like people of righteousness, that, like people that serve God, like churchgoers, like pastors, like 
Sunday school teachers, like good people in the community. PhD and child psychologist Michael Thompson from PBS's Raising Cain said, quote, the human brain is wired for imitation. Every boy loves his father and wants to be able to do what he does, both to honor him, to earn his praise, and to compete with him. Interesting. Sons love to imitate. Number four, children of the devil don't love Jesus. They don't love Jesus. This is an easy test. Do people sincerely love Jesus? Bam, you could end it right there. Love is deep. Jesus used an if-then if clause in verse 42. Take a look at it. If God were your father, and that implies that God was not their father, okay, you would love me. You would love me. They didn't love Jesus because God was not their father. Love for Jesus is conditional upon which father and family you belong to. Leon Shirk is my father, and I have a special and unique love for Valerie Shirk and Christopher Shirk because Leon is my dad, and they are my siblings. I would not love Valerie and Christopher the same way that I do now if Leon was not my dad. It would be a different relationship. If you skim verses 43 and 44 again, it's obvious that these Jews hated Jesus. They hated his words. They wanted him dead. Children of God, think about it, don't hate their older brother who defends them and does so much for them. You're not part of the family if you hate the older brother who defends you on the playground. It's like he comes and beats up the kid who like took your kickball and you're like, I hate you, you know, his brother, you know. I'm not sure if you ever did that for me, Chris, but thanks if you did. Amen, man. I wanted that ball, and he took it. No, I don't know. Jesus came from God with the authority of God, so to love Jesus is to love the Father. To hate Jesus is to love another father. One of the simplest and most effective spiritual self-evaluations that you can do for yourself is to ask yourself, do I really love Jesus I mean, is that, is that love so deep in my heart for him alone? Would I do anything for him? Ask yourself that. Would I do anything? Would I give up anything? Let me ask you, is there anything in your life that you would not immediately give up for Jesus? How deeply do you love him? Number five, children of the devil don't understand the gospel because they cannot truly hear the gospel they don't understand because they can't truly hear. In verse 43, Jesus asks a question and then he, he quickly a- answers the questions that, that he asked. He asks, why do you not understand what I say? Why aren't you getting this? Why aren't you getting this? He was being clear. In fact, he was being so very clear, it's hard to miss what he was saying. But they thought him irrational. Jesus answered his question then, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. When I was growing up, sometimes we'd be watching TV and uh, something would come on that wasn't good. And it always seemed that that came on when mom was near. And then she'd walk into the room. Have you been in this situation? You're like, the show was good until you walked in. I'm... And mom, mom would look and she would go, turn it off, turn it off. She would just hate it. And she'd be like, turn it off. She would say it about like that too. 
She's not here, I can say that. When, when we don't want to hear or see something, what do we do? We block it. We shut it off. We shut it out. You may find it interesting that the Greek word for bear is not there. A more accurate reading of verse 43 would be like this. It is because you cannot hear my word. The word for cannot is dunamai, where we get the word dynamite. You can see the connection there. Cannot refers to power or ability. They had no ability to hear his word. Their sinful and deaf heart couldn't hear the sound of truth. To hear would have been to believe and to obey, and they couldn't bear that. Why do so many people find Jesus unimpressive? Why why do they find him uninspiring or irrelevant to their lives? Why don't they care about Jesus? Why don't more people care about the king of the universe? Because they can't hear him. They can't understand them. They are dead in their sin and completely unresponsive to the truth until God awakens their dead heart by His grace and they are born again, made alive, and by grace come to know and understand and believe and obey. That's what John 3 addresses, the sovereign grace of God in conversion. It's what Jesus meant in John 6, 63 and 65. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless what? Unless it is granted to him by the Father. Children of the devil can't stomach the word of Jesus. Children of God feast on it. They hunger for it. Children of God want to hear and obey it because they cherish Christ. Number six, children of the devil don't believe Jesus. They don't believe Jesus. The Jews that Jesus addressed were self-assured in their unbelief. They wouldn't believe him. Jesus said in verse 45, very interesting language here, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. The truth was precisely why they didn't believe him. Now that sounds counterintuitive because we want to say, don't people want to believe what's true? Don't people want the truth? Sadly, no, they don't. For many people, it's not about what's true. It's about what they want to be true. And there's a big, big difference. Children of the devil repudiate the truth. They have an aversion to it. All they want to do is propagate the lies of their father. Paul explained that people suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Abortion in the United States is a striking example of suppressing the truth. It is absurd, completely absurd to think Abortion is not the destruction of human life. There's no scientific way to spin that. There's no logical way to spin that. But what do people do? They suppress the truth because they think like their father. And it shows in their life. Unbelief is the definitive sign of a child of the devil Where you find an unbeliever, you find someone who submits to their father, Satan. They don't love and trust Jesus, and it shows. Now, 
for us to hear that, that offends our cultural sensitivities. But there is no way to sugarcoat Jesus here. There's just no way to do it. If you want to be faithful to believe what Jesus actually said, you cannot sugarcoat this. He taught that everyone who does not believe in him, that does not follow him, that does not cherish him, that does not value him, that does not value him supreme in their life, is a child of the devil. Two fathers, two families. Jesus said it. It is true. Number seven. Children of the devil have no legitimate case against Jesus. Perhaps our culture would like to make a case against Jesus to say, ah, he was not right at this point, or this gets confused with manuscripts. This isn't what Jesus said. No, there's no case against Jesus. Look closely at verse 46. Jesus asked, which one of you convicts me of sin? Awesome question. What evidence did anyone have against him? What about the life of Jesus was impeachable? No one could refute his compassion. No one could refute his character. No one could refute his doctrine. No one could refute his miracles. And no one could refute his resurrection. Where was any valid prosecution? They accused him, but they couldn't convict him. Verse 46 assumes the sinlessness of Jesus. The Bible teaches in multiple places that Jesus was without sin. He was perfectly righteous. There is nothing in the character and life of Jesus that brings any reproach. There is a strong movement, I think you can see it, in our culture to make Christ's miracles appear irrational or anti-intellectual. People appeal to science or to reason or to supposed evidence to make a case against Christ, but nothing has ever turned, overturned the historic reality of the empty tomb. It's like, show me the body of Jesus, I'll give it all up. But you can't because the tomb is empty. The most famous man in history, you can't give his body to us. We've got plenty of, of different tombs and things of different rulers and world people. Where's Jesus? Not even his worst enemies denied the resurrection. Have you thought about that before? They didn't deny it, they just lied about it. They knew he was alive again. The sinlessness of Christ and his resurrection are the primary historic realities that give credence to what Jesus taught. There is no legitimate case against Christ. Number eight, last one. Children of the devil are children of the devil because they are not children of God. Thank you, Captain Obvious, right? Children of the devil are children of the devil because they're not children of God. That is so obvious. Look at verse 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. You see, children of God hear the word of God, which means they heed the word of God. Children of the devil don't. They are not of God or born of God. As John writes in 1 John, consider these five verses from 1 John. 1 John 3, 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has not been born of God. 1 John 4, 7, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 5, uh, 5 
uh, verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. 1 John 5, 4, for whoever who has for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 1 John 5, 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. None of these verses describe those not born of God. Everyone born of God doesn't make a practice of sinning. God's seed abides in him. He knows and loves God and deeply loves his fellow Christians. He believes that Jesus is the Christ. He overcomes the world of darkness and evil with faith. And he is protected by Jesus Christ so the evil one does not touch him. Those things describe the children of God, not everyone else. Friends, The severity of Christ's word should not be tempered or trivialized. We need to hear the tough words of Jesus because they are true. And they help us believe what is true. Folks, be careful with truth like this. Be very careful. It would be very unhelpful and unkind to misuse this truth in order to attack people or attack culture or write signs and pick it somewhere. Our objective is Christ, not sitting on thrones of condemnation. Nor should we despair or lose heart. Because God can take the worst child of the devil, give them a new birth as a child of God. God will change the familial status of anyone who trusts in His Son. We do not have to remain children of the devil. We can be children of God. Just come to Christ and trust in Him. There is room, hear this very clearly, there's room for more children in the family of God. Begin with yourself. What father and what family do you belong to? How do you know? What gives you confidence that you are a child of God? Are you living the life of a child of God or living the life of a child of the devil? Listen, Jesus at this moment was not talking to children of God. So his words of strong warning, and they are strong warning, they are plea. His words were grace. Shocking grace. That's why the tone of this sermon is so severe. I'm trying to match the text and let the text preach. To preach and say what Jesus preached and said. But there's encouragement here, friends. Here are six brief encouragements, really fast, from the text that will help you make absolutely sure you are a child of God. And then to rest confident that you are. Six tests. Number one, children of God trust and obey God like Abraham did. Number two, children of God love Jesus. Number three, children of God hear and understand the word of God. Number four, children of God desire to do the will of God. Number five, children of God hear and believe the truth of God. 
And number six, children of God are born of God. Now, if all those six points are true of you, then you have a loving Father that will always care for you, that will always love you, that will always give you what you need because He cares for you. He will provide. He will love. He always will help you bring glory to Him. Is family important to you? I think we can all say that family is really important to us. We don't want people to remain children of the devil. We want them to come to the Father through Christ so they can be loved as a child of God. Loved by God and part of a loving family. We just want to love people and make them feel like they're part of us because we have Christ in common. We need to especially love our brothers and sisters in Christ, but never at the expense of those who aren't our brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we want to love them. We, we never want to isolate or despise the children of the devil. We never attack them or humiliate them or treat them in any way that we ourselves would not want to be treated. We make an appeal. Come to Christ so you have a Father that loves you. We want you to be part of us. That's our appeal. I think part of loving non-Christians is gently and winsomely helping them understand the severity of their sin, the severity of our sin, the severity of sin in general, because we all have it, and helping them to understand their familial status as unbelievers. And please don't forget, very important to realize, that the Jews who Jesus called children of the devil were Jews that believed in him. Verses 30 and 31, and Jews that believed they were children of God. They weren't atheists or agnostics. The, the reality is some of your friends who profess to be Christians may actually be children of the devil and God could use you to reach them to help them finally see which family they belong to. We should never sugarcoat Jesus for people because we're fearful of offending them or getting up in their grill or causing an awkward situation at dinner or in a conversation. Be loving, be gracious, be truthful, and let Jesus speak. That's why it's so important. You know your Bibles and, and, and your evangelism or your discussions are so bleeding through with what Jesus said so that it's him that's saying it and it's not your opinion. Let Jesus speak. That's why our message needs to be Jesus' message. There's a big difference between these two fathers and two families. Jesus said the truth will set you free. This is the kind of truth that exposes our great need for Christ, my great need for Christ, your great need for Christ, and thus opens us up to find our greatest delight in Christ because he leads us to the loving Father that's ours through him. No longer children of the devil, children of God. Let's pray. God, I don't really know what is going on in people's hearts right now or in their minds. This may be the last sermon that I preach. Um, probably not. God, these words of Jesus are fierce. They're severe. There's no way to spin them. They say what they say. Jesus 
was actually telling people to their face that they were children of the devil. Well, Jesus, we're, we're not perfect, so I, I think we're going to stay away from that one. But we are going to believe what you said, and we are going to help people the best we can with the most love and, and graciousness that we can by the leading of your spirit to help people realize which family they're a part of because there are only two. Either we radically love Jesus and are children of God or we don't and we're children of the devil. One of two. God, there's a burden on my heart for people who don't know Christ that they would know Jesus and so find themselves to be extravagantly loved by you, the Father. I want to see that happen. God, I pray this morning in faith. I'm asking, people are here and we're all praying together that you would expand Jerusalem church. Grow it numerically. I'm asking for that. From people who come to know Jesus Christ, who were children of the devil, who are now through Christ, children of faith, children of Abraham, children of God, and that this church would grow through baptisms, that this church would grow through people who are seeing Jesus and his supremacy and falling in love with him and devoting their lives to him. This is a faithful church. This is a gospel-preaching church. We aren't going to skip over difficult texts. We're going to preach them as if they come with the authority of you, the Father, because they do come with your authority. And people don't like this, so I'm scared as a pastor. Maybe this church won't grow because people get offended and walk out. They don't want to hear this. They want to hear a feel-good message. Well, this isn't one. And so, God, I pray with faith. I'm pleading Would you help people to come who want to hear tough words like this, who find this message precious because they are children of God? Some of them don't even know they will be. They'll be saved because your infinite grace will impact their life and they'll be radically changed forever, but they don't know it yet. They're still children of the devil, but one day they won't be. I pray that you bless this church that we can be involved in that. I just want a taste of that. I want to see people know Christ. I want to see people perhaps that are here that are children of the devil hearing this right now, that they know Christ. It's all about what he said. It's all about knowing him. And God, deep down, it's all about joy. We have to hear tough words. It has to get much worse for us for it to then get better in Christ as we trust him. So God, this isn't something I can do. These aren't necessarily the most popular sermons, but I pray that you use it for whatever will you have at this church. All things for King Jesus. Amen.